For small and medium-sized enterprises such as restaurants and retail stores or publishing companies and construction businesses, getting a bank loan is the first step to getting off the ground or a vital part of expanding and diversifying. Without collateral and credit, securing bank funding is difficult, if not impossible. In recent years, another form of business lending has popped up, fintech companies. Fintech lending relies on algorithms to determine whether a business is worth the risk. Welcome to the Delve Podcast, brought to you by Delve, the official thought leadership platform of McGill University's Desotel Faculty of Management. I'm your host for this episode, Robin Fadden. Desotel professor Paul Beaumont recently researched the role of fintech funding for small and medium-sized businesses. He and his co-authors found that firms served by fintech platforms have less intangible assets than bank borrowers. But relative to similar firms that take out bank loans or were denied fintech credit, fintech borrowers experience a long-term 20% increase in bank credit after receiving their fintech loan. I spoke to Professor Beaumont about why this change in bank lending appeal happens, what businesses are most likely to experience it, and what the longer-term outlook of fintech financing on small and medium-sized businesses might look like, such as whether we'll see an increase in successful businesses or certain kinds of businesses thanks to this alternative form of financing, and whether banks might change their tune about what businesses they fund in the first place. Welcome to the Delve Podcast, Professor Beaumont. The term fintech is really an umbrella term, and many types of companies fall under that, including companies related to blockchain and other new technologies. Could you outline the kind of fintech platforms you're looking at in this particular research? What we mean by fintech here is like fintech platforms that lend to small firms. We are talking about the P2P lending business, so like P2P meaning peer-to-peer, so individual lending directly to firms. The P2P corporate lending business model is the second one in terms of size in the fintech lending market. First, there is like the consumer lending market, so like fintech that lend to individuals. Second, there is lending to firms, lending to small and medium firms. So this is the second one in terms of size. And we are not talking at all <laughs> about like blockchains or this kind of thing. It's really like a, a simple financing process, which is I lend to a firm. What are the small and medium-sized businesses that fintech companies would lend to, and what are the typical ways that they would apply for and receive loans? One thing that I want to be clear from the outset is that we're not talking about startups here. Like uh, here, we are talking about like your everyday um, moms and pop uh, stores. Like it can be like we are talking about like restaurants. We are talking about small uh, manufacturing firms. We are talking about I don't know like uh, construction firms. Startups, it's a whole different game. Like. Uh, uh, the goal of startups huh, is to become super large, is to become the next Google, to become the next, I don't know, Apple or anything. Uh, the research I'm talking about today is about how do uh, small firms get funded. But there is a consensus in the uh, literature that banks uh, play a super big role. And it's the reason why uh, there have been like many research papers written about the role of banks in, in small business and l- lending uh, since the, uh, the 90s. And uh, the, the question then is like, how do uh, small firms obtain financing from banks like what is it what is necessary for them to obtain financing from banks from banks and here like the classical problem that small firms face when they try to obtain financing from banks is that there is information asymmetry so what do we mean by information asymmetry it's super simple it's very hard for a bank to know whether the small firm that wants to borrow money is like good or not whether like in two or three years the, the firm will actually like default or, or whether it will be 
uh, not profitable enough. And from the outset, there is no way to, to know whether like the, the, the firm is good or not. One thing that is important is that this kind of problem, like information asymmetry, is this kind of problem is like particularly acute for small firms. Why is that? Because we are talking about new firms, for instance, so firms for which there is no credit history, for instance. The other reason is also like just small firms, they are more exposed to aggregate shocks. Like if there is a recession, a small firm will be like more exposed to a change in the business cycle. So it's just like super simple reasons that make small business lending super complicated. So there are like structural reasons why it's complicated for a bank to lend to a, to a small firm. Information asymmetry has caused major friction in bank lending since the 1980s, with more unreliable firms applying for loans and defaulting on them. These high default rates caused banks to increase interest rates, which caused reliable, non-defaulting, or quote-unquote good firms to not even apply for loans. Society loses as well as qualifying firms who don't apply for financing aren't able to bring their products and services to market. Information asymmetry still causes friction today in finance, but one way that banks have tried to overcome it is is with more information, like credit history and accepted credible signals that indicate that an entrepreneur or a firm won't default, such as collateral, including machines, equipment, real estate, and other property. So we know that fintech lending is clearly different than bank lending, but still subject to risk, defaults, and to certain regulations. In the introduction to your research paper, you talk about the 2008 financial crisis, which in some ways we saw an altered reflection of during the COVID crisis in 2020 with many small and medium-sized businesses closing. Why did financial crises help fintech firms grow and play a larger part in small and medium enterprise lending? Banks are crucial for SMEs to get financed. And it's important to understand that after 2008 crisis, everything changed for banks and hence, like, everything changed for firms. It's a very important period for, for banks. One uh, important factor that contributed to the uh, 2008 crisis is the fact that banks lend to risky borrowers, what we call like subprime borrowers. We realized two things. Thanks to the 2008 crisis, policymakers realized two things. First, banks take risks and they, they have incentives to take risks. They have more incentives to take, to take risks than we thought. Second, it's very difficult for policymakers to monitor the risk taken by banks. So, like, in a sense, policymakers had two major goals after the 2008 crisis. They wanted, first, to, like, limit the incentives of banks to take risk and also be better able to, like, anticipate episodes such as the 2008 crisis. After the 2008 financial crisis, bank regulations became tighter and banks took fewer risks. That meant that with smaller businesses already being quite risky, banks began to loan less to these small and medium-sized businesses. Limiting the incentives of banks to take risks results in costs to both businesses and society. In a sense, says Paul Beaumont, this is where fintech companies come into play. One thing that is important to understand is like the difference between banks and fintech. They do not operate the same way. Actually, it's important to understand how fintechs work. But let me start with banks. Just, I am a depositor, so I'm a regular individual like you and me. I will uh, put my money in my deposits uh, in my bank, and the bank will use that money to lend to, like, for instance, like small and business firms. It's not the same business model at all uh, for fintechs, because here for fintechs, we're talking about individuals like you and me lending directly to small and business firms. So... My name is Paul. I'm on my browser, my web browser. I will like have access to uh, many uh, firm profiles on the web page of a fintech. Uh, I can see whether it's a restaurant, whether it's a manufacturing firm, and so on. 
I can see which type of projects the firm will, wants to undertake. I have access to some information on the firm, such as, I don't know, like a balance, balance sheet ratio, like a, some form of like scores that the fintech will like attribute to, uh, to a firm and so on. So I will have information on the firm. And based on the information that I get, I will decide or not to lend to that firm. I lend directly to that firm. And this makes a huge difference because it means that here it's my money directly that is given to the firm, that is uh, lent to, to the firm. That's some serious incentive to avoid fraud, of course. So fintech has to be regulated somewhat because of that, let alone other factors. It's, it's normal that like fintechs are like regulated somehow. The main goal of regulation is to prevent fraud. I mean, as long as people are allowed to like invest in the stock market, there is no clear reason why uh, like they should not be allowed also to lend directly to, to, to small and medium firms. Yeah, you just want to avoid fraud, essentially. It's not the same thing at all for banks, because here, banks are, by definition, using other people's money to lend to firms. So this is a super important difference, because it means, as regulators, as policymakers, we want that banks take the exact amount of risk so that they make profits, because we want them to make profits, after all, without putting the money of depositors at risk. You, you want to be sure that the uh, $100 that you put in your deposit is still there at the end of the day. So this is the reason why banks are mechanically more regulated than fintechs. So this gives fintechs, in a sense, an advantage. Because like we just said that banks got more regulated after 2008. Fintechs are like less regulated, so they face lower regulatory costs. And what we observed is that, in a sense, fintechs they fill the void left by banks. Banks lend less to small and, and medium firms. Fintechs are less regulated, so they fill that void. Is it possible to know whether fintech is filling a void right now that banks have left where they haven't funded small and medium-sized enterprises as much as they used to? And whether fintech is actually helping the economy, at least where these businesses are concerned? We know that in France, it's not the case, like based on the data that we use. Just to give you an idea, like the fintech market is still small. Less than 1% of new loans are actually issued by fintechs. So it's still a very small market. But one thing that I want to say is that it's true that like the fintech market is still small compared to banks. But one thing that we have to realize is that the small and business lending market is not innovative. We have been lending the same way to small and medium uh, enterprises for like decades. There is research showing that in the finance industry, there are productivity gains have been actually like quite low, meaning that the finance industry is claiming to be super innovative, but it does not show up in the data. Fintechs, it's true, are like small compared to banks, but one thing that is for sure is that they constitute an innovation in the way we lend to firms. And this is as... Uh, scholars, as uh, researchers, this is something that is super exciting because it means that finally, at last, we have invented a new business model to um, provide funds to small and business firms. So this is like one reason to care about fintechs. Let me also like uh, give you another reason why to care about fintechs. Uh, small and medium uh, firms, they do matter. Sure, we're not talking about startups, but in terms of job creation, we know that small and medium firms, they matter a lot. They represent a large chunk of the uh, job creation rate uh, in the economy. And also we know that new firms are the ones who are like responding to like growth opportunities, to, to demand opportunities. When there are like 
uh, new developments in the, same, in, the, in the industry when we are like new markets. The way the economy responds to those uh, new uh, opportunities is by the creation of new firms. It's very important from the society perspective to make sure that we allocate the right amount of financing to those firms. So every type of innovation in that market is important from the, the, the society perspective. One major thing that uh, fintechs did is to show to the world that you can have a different business model and still be profitable. And there is a new way of lending to, to small firms. And this is like, for, from the society perspective, it's like super important to know that. But it's possible to innovate in that market. Because fintechs are small businesses in themselves, they end up taking on the full cost of any business defaulting on the loan. To limit the amount of risk that they take, they diversify and expand the pool of firms in which they invest and limit the amount of financing they provide to a single firm. So it's unlikely that a fintech will give $5 million to one firm. Is this level of risk with higher interest rates on top of that an incentive or a deterrent for a firm to go to fintech companies for funding rather than a bank? I mean, it's uh, a very important question. In a sense, it's at, it's at the heart of, uh, of our paper. The premise of our paper is that we can see that fintechs have a very different business model than banks. Individuals are lending directly to firms. It's not at all the same, the same uh, setting. So it also means that fintechs are not subject to the same regulations. Another thing that fintechs do is that they rely a lot on new technologies. They screen firms using algorithms. They also like use very streamlined processes. So like when you go on their web, well, on a fintech website, it's surprisingly efficient in the sense that uh, you just have to like give some financial information on your firm. You have to give to describe the project that you want to uh, to finance. You have to do some to give some information. After you you hit send, you will uh, receive a, a response within like a day or it can be within hours actually. Compared to a bank, it's like not at all the same process. The question that we wanted to like tackle in our research paper is are fintechs just substituting for banks? So are they just replacing banks, like filling the void? Or are they actually also like expanding the set of products available to SMEs, to, to, small, uh, to small firms? And this is super important like, from the society's perspective because it's not the same at all. If they widen the range of products available to SMEs, it means that SMEs, in a sense, they will be able to do more things, to finance more diverse projects. What did you find in your research data about whether fintech is filling a void? First, we saw that the prices of uh, fintech loans, fintech loans are much more expensive. So we're talking about loans that were issued like uh, before 2020. So it seems like a whole different period. The average in interest rate uh, for uh, for a corporate loan issued by a bank, the interest rate will, will be about like 2%. For a fintech, it will be about 7.5. So we are talking about a huge difference, a huge gap. So it's not the same at all. It relates to your question. Why would like small firms like interested in paying more? The second thing that we noticed is that firms that borrow from fintechs are also like different. It's not the same firms. Typically, the firms that borrow from fintechs, they are smaller and they also have like less tangible assets. What do we mean by tangible assets? We talked about collateral. Collateral, you pledge tangible assets to a bank. You will say, you can have my machine if I default. So this is what, what, what I mean by tangible asset. It's something that you, that you can pledge. So they have like less tangible assets. This suggests that these firms will have a harder time getting bank financing because they have less collateral to pledge. 
for them it's harder to signal their types. So we see two things. The prices are not the same and the identity of the firms are not the same. So it kind of suggests that banks and fintechs are not competing exactly on the same market. If they were competing on the same market, they should like uh, more or less deal with the same firms and prices should be comparable because like otherwise they would be priced out. It's, it kind of hints at, uh, at, at this idea that fintechs are like providing a different product, a different services to firms. So the question then is, what is this service? This is the research question that we wanted to, to, to address in the paper. So fintech firms can't substitute for banks, especially for certain types of SMEs. What kind of firms are going to fintech today? Are these novel firms that are on the cutting edge of something new in the market, or are they more typical small businesses? So first of all, I want to like emphasize we're using French data, uh, the French ecosystem, but we have no reason to believe that things would be like super different in Canada, for instance, on the U.S., in terms of differences, we find that, for instance, in terms of industry, like, uh, fintech borrowers will be um, located more in the service industry or the manufacturing industry. The main difference uh, that we found between like bank borrowers and fintech borrowers, it's really like about whether they have like tangible assets on their balance sheet. The main criterion on which they differ is like to which extent do they have tangible assets on their balance sheet. Fintech borrowers can first be new firms, like. You want to start your uh, restaurant. You want to start your, I don't know, bakery, uh, temp agency, or this kind of thing. But here we have like a chicken and egg problem because you need a, a tangible assets to finance like, the acquisition of, let's say, your restaurant, like the premises of your restaurant. Uh, but if you don't already have a collateral, it will be harder for you to get that loan. If as an entrepreneur, you own a house, it will be easier for you to launch your own company because it will be uh, easier for you to get a bank loan, but sometimes you don't have, you don't own a house, or like like the price of the house is not high enough for, for you to get that uh, bank loan or so on. For new firms, especially, it's harder to like get financing because sometimes you just lack that collateral. And this is where fintechs can be like applying to get a fintech loan can be advantageous because one important thing with fintechs is that we already said that they are subject to less stringent regulations, and in particular, it's less costly for fintechs to issue unsecured loans. Since 2008, we tightened like bank regulations. The idea being that we want them to take less risks. For a bank, it's relatively costly to issue an unsecured loan. That is not the case with fintechs. And again, this is where fintechs enter the stage. Like it's for them, they can in a sense like fill the gap between banks and firms in the sense that they can provide the funding that is necessary for a firm to let's say buy a house or buy the premises of the restaurant or this kind of thing by providing financing to, to those firms, to those newly created firms, fintechs kind of solve the chicken and egg problem. They allow firms to like purchase tangible assets, typically, as I said, like uh, machines. And what is great is that those machines, since they are not, since the loans, the, since the fintech loans are unsecured, firms can then pledge those machines to get bank loans. Again, it solves the chicken and egg problem because like at first you had a firm with no collateral and therefore no bank loan. Fintechs arrive, they provide financing to those firms. Those firms can invest in tangible assets. Those tangible assets now appear to their, on their balance sheet. Banks are happy because it means that they can ask for collateral, which means that finally those newly created firms can get access to a bank loan. Fintechs, like in a sense, they fill that void in the market. 
So in a way, fintech allows them to grow because they can go to a bank and show their collateral thanks to the loan they receive from the fintech company. And this is what, exactly what we observe in the data. So like, this is actually a very robust uh, phenomenon. If we plot the amount of bank financing that a firm gets, we observe a super sharp 20% increase in the six months that follows the fintech loan. Our goal in that paper was to understand why it was the case. So there was, there is this collateral channel that we just talked about. So this idea that if you get a fintech loan, you will invest in tangible assets. You will then pledge them to get a bank loan. So there was this mechanism, but there were also like other mechanisms that could explain uh, this phenomenon. One such mechanism is, for instance, the information channel. So what do we mean by this? We talked about information asymmetry before, and we know that fintech they rely on the algorithms uh, like data, um, big data, uh, machine learning, this kind of stuff. It's possible that like fintechs are actually better at like extracting information on firms, or at least they are able to observe like different signals. Uh, banks are perhaps good at observing, let's say, certain certain forms of signals, and perhaps like fintechs are, obs- are better at like observing other forms of signal. In any case, what could happen is that banks interpret the grant of a fintech loan as a positive signal on the quality of a firm. Banks could uh, tell themselves, okay, this firm got a loan from fintech A. This must mean, since fintechs are good at their job, that this firm is actually better than we thought. We find that like firms invest more after getting a fintech loan, they invest more in tangible assets, and the increase in bank credit is stronger when firms invest in tangible assets, which supports this collateral mechanism. So it's consistent with this idea that like fintech lending in a, is in a sense like complementary with bank lending. Why is that? Because thanks to the uh, collateral channel, fintech provides the funding that is necessary to invest in tangible assets, which is necessary to obtain bank financing. The two forms of uh, lending, in a sense, they complement each other. The effects of fintech are being measured. We'll see the outcomes soon enough. I'd like to know what small and medium-sized enterprises can learn from your research findings. So I think the main thing that like entrepreneurs could learn from the paper is the existence of uh, fintechs. So uh, to be honest, uh, like uh, not all firms are like aware of this. Uh, far from it. So just knowing uh, that this kind of solution exists, that there are alternatives to banks, can be helpful for, for some firms. Could banks learn something from fintech as well? If there is one thing that they could learn from the business model from fintechs, is the, is the, the way fintechs like, streamline their funding process. In a sense, it suggests that like, banks could like, automate some processes, uh, rely on the algorithms that uh, fintechs use to like, process uh, loans faster. Uh, I don't know whether to which extent they will uh, go that way, but it's one, one way they could do like productivity gains. Of course, this research is also something that could help policymakers understand the value of fintech to SMEs. I think policymakers could learn from our paper. And what our results suggest is that this business model so far seems to be sustainable. And I mentioned that there is a cap on, the, on loans in the, in the French market. So you're not allowed to issue loans uh, uh, larger than uh, 5 million, if, if I'm not mistaken. Is, it, is this cap uh, legitimate or not? This is debatable. Uh, I completely understand the reason why our policymakers want to like, uh, limit the amount of risk taken by individuals. But 
there is also like cost on imposing those kind of those kind of caps. What our other suggest is that it would make sense for policymakers to foster the growth of the uh, fintech market. That it seems uh, that the business model not only seems to be sustainable but also seems to like favor the access of uh, to credit of of small firms. And this is something that is desirable from the society's perspective. Like the fact that obtaining a fintech loan favors access to bank credit is something that speaks really in favor of the, the fintech industry. So we hope that policymakers will hear that message and uh, we hope that it will like uh, inform the debates surrounding the fintech industry. As the fintech industry grows in popularity among a larger variety of businesses and evolves alongside changing economies and technologies, what can we expect in the coming years from both fintech and many businesses these companies finance? We'll have to pay attention to both the economy and the research. Our guest today on the Delve podcast was Desotel Faculty of Management Professor Paul Beaumont discussing his recent research on fintech lending and small and medium-sized enterprises. You can find out more about this research in an article at delve.mcgill.ca. Thank you for listening to the Delve podcast, produced by Delve, the thought leadership platform of the Desotel Faculty of Management at McGill University. You can follow Delve McGill on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to the Delve McGill podcast on your favorite podcasting app.